The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello, happy Saturday. Welcome back into the Arrowhead Pride Best of the Week podcast. I'm host and audio producer of the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network, Stephen Serta. The NFL's legal tampering period for free agents begins on Monday, so we've got plenty to get you caught up on from the past week before the Chiefs hit the free agent market on Monday morning. We'll start things off with the latest episode of Veach Season. The guys discussed some of the biggest winners from the NFL Combine. After that, it's a brand new podcast we brought you this week called Chiefs Stock Watch with Matt Stagner and Price Carter. They discussed the Chiefs announcing that they would not franchise tag tackle Orlando Brown Jr. After that, it's the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. They played a game of who stays and who goes from the Chiefs free agent class. And then we'll wrap things up with the latest episode of the AP Draft Room as they highlighted some of their favorite prospects of the week. That's all coming up on today's Arrowhead Pride Best of the Week. Jared, I'm going to no-look past this one back over to you and get your take on this. I see that it looks like you have some, some thoughts as he was talking. I mean, I watched the running backs work out today, and I don't think Bijan Robinson's in the Chiefs range. I don't think it's happening. Um, I really wish that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had not happened two years ago because the Chiefs could probably get a game-breaker in Jameer Gibbs in the first round. He's worth the first-round pick. He's probably running back one in – 19 out of 20 drafts. I don't think you can sell that because everybody's going to say, but wait, this happened two years ago with the running back who nobody thought was going to be a superstar. Um, I definitely am, think the Chiefs need to get a game break or something on offense. I don't know that Chiefs fans are ready to think about what it's probably going to look at from this draft. Cause if you watch this weekend, there's probably not going to be a wide receiver that's worth using pick 31 pick 31 for. I mean, I don't think you could have been more underwhelmed than by what you kind of saw from the crowd yesterday. If that involves getting a tight end, uh, another straight up move tight end who's never going to be Kelsey, but can maybe have that, that rapport with Mahomes when Kelsey retires or becomes a full-time comedy show host uh, sometime coming up or, you know, if you have a running back with actual game-breaking speed who can catch the pass and just destroy people in space, that's worth pick 31. Are we ready to see that, that that's the way the Chiefs are improving their weapons? 
You know, here's my personal take on taking a running back in the first round is you can't let a past mistake define your future decisions. Like that's, that's my personal take on the situation. Yeah. Are you old enough to remember the chiefs drafting tackle Victor Riley in the first rounds? One of the first drafts I remember watching price isn't old enough for this. Um, they drafted the tackle Victor Riley probably in the mid nineties. And what did, when the internet then is people writing into the Kansas city star, but everybody said we drafted a tackle who was a bust two years ago. Why are we doing this again? And uh, Trezell Jenkins and you, you can't let one mistake dictate what happens going forward. There's running backs who are worth the 31st pick this year. And if that's where you need to go, drafting Clyde shouldn't impact that. Unfortunately, I am old enough to remember the Chiefs drafting Trezell Jenkins in the first round. And I'm also old enough to remember the Chiefs drafting Greg Hill in the first round and him not exactly panning out to be everything that we thought he was going to be as the first round running back. But listen, you got to keep taking swings on players you believe in. I'm I'm uh, I'm a super big proponent of taking the best available on the board, and especially when it comes to a playmaker. And if Jameer Gibbs is there and you think he's the best offensive playmaker on the board, then you take him. And I don't care if you take him as a running back and then like you did with Tyreek Hill and then call him a wide receiver all of a sudden and just give him bubble screens and jet sweeps for the first season and then let him work on the on his route tree later, or just then convert him back to running back once all the hubbub is his has died down yeah just real quick to put a bow on this i did a breakdown of the last five years of running backs that have been where they've been drafted in the production in the nfl i set the threshold as about 500 yards rushing 250 yards receiving per a season essentially isaiah pacheco is one of three or four players in the last five years to be taken in on day three of the draft and produce that type of production that's not just that's not to say that, you know, Pacheco's a bad pick and they can't rely on him. Maybe it's a true bell cow next year and the Chiefs don't even really need to worry about that position. I definitely agree that the Chiefs need a game breaker. Obviously I'm the one that brought that point up. But I do think that the Chiefs Chiefs fans should be okay with taking a, a running back on day two. I do agree that at this point, offensive tackle four or five or edge five or six or corner three or four or safety two or whatever they end up doing at pick 31 might be more valuable than running back one, which would be Bijan. Um, I, it's hard because he's probably a top 10 player in the draft. And, you know, I, I, Jameer Gibbs, I'm not sure I'm quite ready to go there at pick 31, just because I think the size concerns are there and he has a very defined role and he would be great at the role and it'd be great to have him for five years doing that passing down role. And then, yeah, maybe he does grow into another player or into a a better player and a more defined role. But yeah, I definitely think with what the Chiefs are running out there on offense right now, Chiefs fans shouldn't be afraid of a day two running back. And quite frankly, if you're wanting to get a running back that can make an impact, that's where they're going to come day one and day two, day three, it starts becoming a much tougher proposition. I agree. I agree 100%. I think that the problem is is that some of the Chiefs, the Chiefs' most recent bell cow running back, but prior to uh, Pacheco was Kareem Hunt. You could really call a bell cow running back, and he was a later draft guy as well. And so Chiefs fans have this has this flawed idea in their head that you can just find all-world running backs you know late in the draft on a consistent basis which isn't necessarily already always true but anyway we've, we've spent way too much time talking about running back possibilities and this sort of thing we're going to move ahead to the franchise tag and talk about that for a second um so the chiefs have a franchise tag to still hand out most likely it's probably going to orlando brown jr as far as we know right now um 
Jared, what's going on with the franchise tag? What do you think the Chiefs are going to do? What's the, what's the implications of it? And how does that affect their draft plan? If they don't reach a long-term deal with Orlando Brown Jr., he's he's getting franchised. And right now, I think between now and the start of the league year on March 15th, I think the Chiefs really would like to either have a long-term deal done with either Orlando Brown Jr. to avoid the franchise tag or a mega extension done for Chris Jones that brings down his cap hit this year. Because right now they don't they don't have the cap space to do the franchise tag for Orlando Brown. And it's I think for a regular offensive lineman, it's like 16 point something million. Well, with Brown, it's pretty much straight at 20 million because he gets a 20 percent uh, raise from what he received last year on his first franchise tag. I think the most likely thing that's going to happen is they're going to pay Orlando Brown on the franchise tag. He's probably going to sulk. He's probably going to miss a little bit more camp this time around. And then he's bet on himself so long that there's no reason for him to just pout and say, I'm not playing on this franchise tag because basically to give him a franchise tag the third time in 2024, you're, you're paying him the average of the top five salaries in the league. So he's getting paid like, quarterback numbers that that nobody expects that to happen orlando brown if he gets the franchise tag he will play on it because he's bet on himself this long knowing he's never going to see a franchise tag the rest of his career um i think the plan is probably going to be they're going to franchise orlando brown and then probably use one of their first two picks on a tackle not because they think that they can trade orlando brown and slide that tackle in but because that tackle is probably either going to get the Eric Fisher treatment where they compete to be the right tackle as a rookie and then slide over um, a year later. Cause remember uh, Brandon Albert was still the chiefs left tackle when they drafted fish, or if they draft a raw tackle who they really like the trades for, it might just be a Mahomes situation where your first round pick red shirts a year because you really expect him to be able to play such an expensive position at a high level his second year. So, so with that idea in mind of giving it to Eric Fisher treatment or somebody who's going to sit a year and then slide in the left tackle, that really kind of it, it takes some names off the board in this draft. You're right because there's so, there's a lot of guys who are kind of bigger names in this draft, but they're kind of right tackle specific. Like Darnell Wright is is purely a right tackle. So Price, with that in mind, with that kind of approach, what are some names that Chiefs fans could be looking at that to kind of with that kind of scenario in mind? Well, you you know, one that comes right off the mind, had a good week, was Darnell Wright, right tackle from Tennessee. Uh, Matthew Matthew Bergeron, right tackle from uh, Syracuse as well. It's another name that will come to mind. Anton Harrison is still a name. We had a big scare with his arm length. <laughs> Slack was blowing up this week or today kind of because there were some incorrect arm length numbers. I mean, dude was being talked about like a full-on T-Rex with his arm size, potentially. It was corrected, though. Those are all names that come to mind as to what's going to be there at 31. I think, actually, when it comes to the franchise tag and Orlando Brown, I think one of the most interesting things is going to be actually what they do with Andrew Wiley. The reason be that there's a situation where if the Chiefs bring back Andrew Wiley and they tag Orlando Brown, that Orlando Brown is still not back on this team because tag and trade can happen at any point once the league year starts. If Andrew Wiley is back, the Chiefs franchise tag Orlando Brown, and then let's say Dewan Jones falls into their lap, 
or Anton Harrison, and they feel really good about him. You then have your returning right tackle, four out of your five starters there, and you could potentially put Anton Harrison at left tackle, tag and, and then send Orlando Brown, tag and trade Orlando Brown, and that frees up some cap space, right? It's potential. I, I don't think it's going to happen. I think you know what what's more than likely going to happen is that they will tag him and either he'll come to a long-term deal or he'll probably do a little holdout. But he was a third-round pick, and he more or less said this year, Hey, I played on the tag because I like money, and he's getting a raise from last year. So I I expect him to be back. And, yeah, maybe the Eric Fisher, you know, uh, a year at right and then kick over to left is a possibility as well. The good news is, is I feel pretty good about the Chiefs being able to find a find an option at right tackle, whether that be Lucas Nyang, Andrew Wiley, um, or a, a rookie. So, <laughs> again, it, it, Andrew Wiley is the ultimate left tackle purgatory. Or not Andrew Wiley, uh, Orlando Brown. You're always looking for better, hoping for more, but you can also do so much worse. So it, it's tr- it's tough with him. It's hard to let a guy like that go. The uh, the best comparison I I saw is I read something on Twitter. I can't remember who it's from, but it said that Orlando Brown. They, they named the Orlando Brown situation. I think the Derek Carr conundrum, where you have this player who's going to be very expensive, and it, it's it's very expensive to find somebody who plays at his level let alone better than him. But also, is this where you really want your money to continue to go? Yeah, no, 100%. I couldn't agree more. He's a guy who's good enough, but also not good enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, I mean, when push comes to shove, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget the fact that he got beat terribly on the rep where Mahomes' ankle got injured. Like him whiffing on that, on that rushed pass rush by Arden Key almost derailed the entire season, you know, and it's because he's not athletic enough to play left tackle against speed rushers. Um, One name that I would probably keep an eye on also for Chiefs fans is Matthew Bergeron. I think that he's a guy because he plays both right and left tackle in college, and he's probably going to be there around the the 31 mark. I think that's a guy that has the makeup that Andy Reid kind of likes. He's very thick all the way through his body and very strong. Um, And so that'd be a guy that I kind of keep an eye on a little bit. Um, but anyway, gotta keep the this show met, moving. The Chiefs well, met yep. with Bergeron, but the Chiefs seem to have met with about every tackle other than you know Skaransky, the the top of the first round. They seem to have met with every tackle who could conceivably go between about twenty and a hundred. Uh, it's exactly right, and including they met with uh, old uh, Kansas Jayhawk Earl Bostic Jr. You know as well. So uh, maybe there's a chance that there's a Jayhawk on the line as a swing tackle in the coming years. Uh, but anyway, moving, moving on, let's, uh, let's talk about players who improved or hurt their draft stock during the combine. We've been watching the combine all weekend long. We've been watching every single player get out there and test and, and very, from various positions at various different tests, whether it be the three cone drill, the 20 yard shuttle, the 40 yard dash, blah, 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 blah. We've been watching it all. All right, price. Who's it? Give me one player who hurt their, who hurt their stock and one player who improved their stock. Well, for me, deep in my heart, I have been saying, Keishon Butte, you are a Kansas City Chief. Uh, whenever you read about the things that he d- does well, whenever you turn on the tape and see the things that he does well, it just translated a lot to what Andy likes in a wide receiver. But absolutely brutal combine for him. When you pair that with the off-the-field concerns that ended his season at LSU, he had one of the worst verticals of any player at the wide receiver position. I mean, like we're talking bottom tier vertical in the draft as a whole. And then pair that with how slow he ran. Absolutely brutal for him. I think he could have 
you know, been an early like 40 or 50s pick and definitely around one guy going into the season and now has plummeted to what I think will be a day three guy. I still wouldn't be terribly mad if the Chiefs threw a day three pick at him. I mean, at that point, you're, you're cashing lottery tickets. And I do still like some of the things that he's put on tape, but there, there's some definitive concerns with him. And like I said, when you pair that with the off the field stuff, it really tanks his draft stock. I have, to, I have to think the Chiefs will have a really good read on the off the field stuff since um, Matt House, the LSU defensive coordinator, was, great point. Great point. was the linebackers coach. Um, I think for the first three years, Spagnuolo was the Chiefs defensive coordinator. But yeah, that that was a combine to forget. And and even if he improves the numbers, he also was a little bit shorter than I think. I mean, I think some people thought he might come in very close to six foot and is you can't be that short and that slow absolutely and uh speaking of people's whose stocks is up their bank accounts might be up let's start right with the biggest news of the week for the kansas city chiefs and that is orlando brown is not going to be receiving the franchise tag from the kansas city chiefs widely reported yesterday matt what is your takeaway from orlando brown not getting the tag it's an interesting scenario because i think most people assume that this means he's 100% out the door and that the Chiefs just decided he wasn't worth $20 million per year uh, and, and the open market will pay him next week. I still think there's an outside chance that they, they that there's a positive reason that the tag was not applied, that this is a sign of good faith in the negotiation process and that there's a chance that they come to some sort of an agreement either now prior to when free agency opens or maybe he hits free agency and finds out the teams were just not willing to pay him more than twenty million a year as he expected, and and there's a there's a way back. I'm not fully closing the door, but it's it is it's down to a crack. We'll say it that way. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. It it just doesn't make a lot of sense for the Chiefs not to use the franchise tag on Orlando Brown, even if a deal felt imminent or close. A lot of times these stories are leaked through the agents. I feel like if a deal was close his agent would have probably spoken through the sources that released the information that said, hey, a deal is imminent or something like that. To me, this feels like, all right, this was our number. You don't want this number. You go see what you can get on the open market. Now, I do think you bring up a good point. I think right now there's a 0% chance, as James Palmer said on 610 Sports, which is Homer Arrowhead, Pride Radio, he said that there's a 0% chance that he's back in Kansas City. I think there's a 0% chance it happens before Monday. I think he's this close to the open market. Him and his agent go to the market and see what they get. Now, is it possible that he's misreading his market and the Chiefs probably were the best deal he was going to get? Yeah. And I think in your case, that's one of the pathways that they have. Brett Veach talks about through free agency, they have multiple plans, multiple pathways that they can go through. And I do think that there is a situation that Orlando's Brown is back in Kansas City. And, you know, there's also probably another path that involves drafting one. There's probably another path that involves trading for one that's currently in the league now. So... Very interesting. This coupled with the news about Frank Clark being cut, uh, I, I don't think this is nearly as newsworthy. It's just kind of interesting that they happen in sequence with one another. Um, kind of effectively puts the cap at about $17.5 million in space. And that's the thing. It's all about salary cap flexibility as they go into free agency. They've admitted as much that they were a little bit handcuffed last season with that franchise tag on the books and not able to, to be players in the first few days of free agency. This year, we'll see if they're actually big players or not, but at least they have that option on the table without the franchise tag holding them down, without Frank Clark's uh, you know exorbitant salary on the books. They may have some wiggle room. Again, 
Frank Clark's another guy who has been very valuable here, uh, very much beloved. And I'm sure they're not completely closing the door there, uh, but it's another deal where the numbers just didn't add up and they needed that flexibility uh, to reset and do what they need to do this offseason. So I think in both cases, it's really just a matter of flexibility and this team doesn't want to have their hands tied when the when next week and free agency begins. Absolutely. And I, I think one thing just to kind of wrap it up, remember that the Tyreek Hill trade was more about the 23 Chiefs and the 24 Chiefs, not just the 2022 Chiefs. The same thing goes for this Orlando Brown news. This may not make them a better team or a better offensive line this year, but it might make the team and the roster better for years to come. So these things don't happen in a vacuum. They don't happen in a silo. Team building is not just a year-by-year thing. Yes, you put a team on the field, but this gives them more flexibility, more ability to go and do things in the future, the draft picks that could be associated with the comp pick for him. And let's also not act like it's not, it is entirely possible that a tag and trade wasn't going to happen for more than they would have got for a compensatory pick. They know, a lot of teams know what Orlando Brown is and is not. There was a chance that they wound up at the dance with nobody to dance with with you know the the tag and trade so i don't think this is bad process by them there the other factor really is the is the agent and um the the way negotiations have gone i think if teams know that he is not going to sign with the chiefs then they're fully inclined to just wait him out and and there's really not a lot of leverage there on the chiefs part you know there's a a assignability thing it's sort of like major league baseball right when you draft a prospect uh some teams will just pass on a prospect if they don't feel like they can actually sign them and, and this may be a similar scenario where teams look at the the trouble the Chiefs have had in locking him up and say, you know, we don't want to give up uh, a lot of assets for a guy that we're not going to be able to sign long term. You're right. Brett Veach was very clear. They're looking for a long term solution at left tackle, not a one year uh, patch here. And so if they're able to sign him long term, great. If not, they're going to look for another long term solution over the coming months. Absolutely. Well, let's shift gears to some of the more general news here in the NFL. Uh, Post-NFL Combine, there's been a lot of people, a lot of players whose value has gone up and gone down. We're going to describe these. We're going to give three bears and bulls of the draft market here. So Matt and I are both going to give three players that were bulls and three players that were, or three players each that were bears. So in case you don't know, which is me, not a financial savvy guy when it comes to an investment market. Matt can help us out with that. Your bulls mean your risers, your people who are up on the up and up. The stock is going higher and bears means the opposite. Teams are players that are falling in value. So I'll start off first. I've got my three bulls. My first bull is going to be offensive tackle Blake Freeland from BYU at 6'7", 302 pounds. He turned in one of the best raw athletic scores of the day for offensive tackles. Obviously, there's a strong connection between BYU and Andy Reid. Uh, makes a lot of ton, a lot of sense for a developmental right tackle, possibly. I could definitely see the Chiefs snatching him up on day two. Uh, another player, the stock is rising, is A.T. Perry, wide receiver out of Wake Forest. He was a 92% athlete as far as raw athletic score. He's a multi-sport athlete. He's got some basketball in his past. A lot of coaching staffs really like that. Uh, classic ex-receiver build. He's a big go-up-and-get-it guy with an awesome catch radius. Has had some issues with drops in the past. Possibly that's something that could improve. And then my number three, someone who could definitely be in play for the Chiefs, is offensive tackle Broderick Jones. Uh, the tape with him looks fantastic absolutely looks like a starting caliber tackle in the NFL. However, there were some questions about his athleticism. He came in with 34 and three quarters inch arm length, which is excellent. A 1.75 10 yard split in the 40 yard dash, which is basically all your paint inch 
paying attention to in the 40-yard dash for offensive linemen. 30-inch vertical. He basically backed up everything that he did on tape. Turned in a really good raw athletic score for the size that he's at. Very exciting for him. I think all three of those players' stock is up. You know, it's no coincidence that you've pointed out a couple of elite uh, testers in the offensive tackle category. Uh, these are potential left tackles in the NFL, and they meet some really specific requirements for this Chiefs team. So for those, if we didn't make this clear enough yet, if you didn't make this assumption already being on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network, we're looking at, at players that were bullish on and players that were bearish on in the lens of the Kansas City Chiefs and their fit with the team and their availability. So you may not hear us talk about Anthony Richardson because he's obviously going to go far before pick 31 and not really going to be somebody that the Chiefs are, are, are really looking at on their board. Uh, we're looking at those that who, who could fall within striking distance. And I think Broderick Jones is one that a lot of people have circled, but he's probably one you're going to have to trade up for. And so the Chiefs are going to have to make that decision. If they do not retain Orlando Brown Jr., they're going to have to think about, do we trade up into range to get a Broderick Jones or another left tackle? Because as you'll see in, in my uh, post combine bulls a lot of the other good tackles that are going to be in the chiefs range are right tackles my favorite right tackle darnell Wright uh from tennessee he'd be a just a plug and play right tackle he's been a right tackle his entire college career briefly played left tackle it didn't work out well moved back to the right he tested out really well he's got the size and the movement of ability that make him a nice fit in this offense so if they have a solution at left tackle he'd be a beautiful pick for right tackle um, if if they don't have a solution at left tackle, they're still going to be looking for one if if right is there on the board. Uh, my my next player that I'm bullish on, and I think was one of the stars of the combine, and, and may very well have played himself out of the Chiefs' range. But Darnell Washington, the tight end out of Georgia, who a lot of people said this is like having an extra offensive lineman on the field. This is a a road grader, a blocker, an inline guy because he is absolutely massive. Well, all of a sudden he shows up. It puts up elite short area quickness uh, and and really solid you know explosion and jump numbers uh, really good you know good forty time for his size all of a sudden he looks like a, a move tight end this is a guy with every single possible trait you could want out of the tight end position and most scouts and, and GMs at least from what I've been hearing will say that you want traits over production when you're looking at at college tight ends how they're going to translate to the NFL. His production wasn't elite, but his traits absolutely are. If there's a tight end that goes early in the first round, don't be surprised if it's Darnell Washington. And then finally, uh, Rasheed Rice, a wide receiver out of SMU. He's a guy on film that has great yards after catch. He can win contested catches, but he showed up at the combine and really showed out with explosion, short area quickness. His 40 time was 4-5-1, which is not elite, but it's fast enough to validate what you see on tape with him. So I think all three of these guys did themselves some good and made themselves some money in Indianapolis. Yeah, I thought it was really important for Rasheed Rice to have a good combine. After kind of the performance he put out there from the Senior Bowl and some of the practices, did not really show a whole lot. It kind of felt like we were, we've were we just been continually waiting for Rasheed Rice to bring something. But it was good to see him post those combine scores that kind of go back to what his original draft profile is. He's someone that I've seen as high in the early 20s and someone as late as day, day three. So it'll be very interesting to see what that happens. But on the flip side, we do have our bears, the people whose 
value plummeted or maybe sunk a little bit from the combine. We try to evaluate players on what they showed, not so much on what they didn't show. Um, some people might get upset about some players who didn't test or something like that. They still have a chance to show that at their pro days. But overall for the draft process, these are players whose value really sunk after the combine. Uh, my first is going to be cornerback Keely Ringo from Georgia. Keely Ringo was someone that was probably thought of as CB1 going into this year's draft class before the college season. And really, his calling card has always been athleticism. He's got great length, great versatility. However, what he put on tape this year, he's super susceptible to big plays. His technique, his hips, they're just not quite what they should be for an NFL starting outside corner. And he really needed to test well, and instead he had a pretty brutal day, 46% athlete. Uh, really, he's kind of lost everything to call back to. Everything about him this year was projection with the athleticism, and instead he kind of proved that his athleticism did not particularly do well. Now, I kind of wonder, uh, safety Christopher Smith, also a Georgia player, really struggled at the combine as well. I'm wondering if maybe they're – there's something going on there. Like did some of the Georgia players just not prep? Well, we've seen schools that prep really well, like Penn state and Michigan for the combine. Maybe there's something to it. We'll see what they do at the pro day, but Keely Ringo could have easily been a day one guy and might've be a day two guy. And depending on what people, what other people think of him could even fall into day three. Um, another one, this one is a little unfortunate just because there's probably a little bit more reasons to it, but edge Andre Carter from army uh, was once thought of as a fringe round one talent, Posted just 13 reps on the bench press at 255, 30-inch vertical, which is 32nd percentile, 9-1 uh, broad jump, which is 28th percentile, plus he had a pretty disappointing senior bowl. He just doesn't show the strength that he's going to need to have to be an NFL starter. He's going to need multiple years in an NFL weight room. And the reason why I say it's unfortunate is just because there's probably a lot of asked for him as a person at the military academy. We know that they do not get to train like normal players do. So I'm sure some of that is related to the service that he's providing to our country. We're appreciative for that. However, as a prospect, an NFL prospect, I, I think it became a lot more challenging for him to sneak into that day two conversation. Uh, last one that I'm going to put on here is Siaki Aika, a defensive tackle for Baylor. Aika, his 2022 tape is pretty bad. A lot of your projection for him were coming off last year's tape, not this year's. And part of that was effort. Part of it was his usage. But this year for the combine, he came in about 10 or 15 pounds lighter than his playing weight. And he's still underperformed kind of what his athletic com com comparisons are. Um, really, I've seen some projections to him. Snacks Harrison, who was a defensive tackle for the Lions, predominantly just a run stuffer. That's that's really kind of the upside here. At one time, he was thought of a player with a body type and some pass rush upside that might have put him into that day two conversation. But right now, he's kind of looking like a one-dimensional player who honestly had some effort questions as well. So he was someone that I liked for the Chiefs in round two. And honestly, I'm not sure he's going to I'm not sure he's going to go on day two anymore. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show, Pete Sweeney, John Dixon. We, we had Steven Serta join us Saturday Night Live. Steve is his new nickname. So thank you to Steve <laughs> for joining us on the show. We had an article come through out of the Combine last week, John, from ESPN. Jeremy Fowler was all over the Chiefs news talking about Orlando Brown Jr. and Juju Smith-Schuster, Nicole Hardman, Juan Thornhill, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had some nuggets there. So we're starting to get a picture of maybe how the Chiefs feel moving into the future. We got the Brown news, and so we're going to start with him. This is simply a who stays and who goes, meaning on day one of training camp, is this player a Kansas City Chief? I'll start with Orlando. We don't need to talk in detail. We've been talking about Brown all mm-hmm, show, John. Right, right. I'll say no on Brown. Where do you stand on this? I think yes. I think that oh, he's wow. going to go out there and find out he can't get what he wants, and he'll come back to Kansas City. He's made it clear he likes it here. I think that I think there's a good chance it's yes. Now that we've disagreed, I'm going to start keeping track of this, and we're going to come back once all the <laughs> players are completed. Juju Smith-Schuster is next, and. I'm tending to think that they find a way with Juju to, to have him come back. I think it's going to be one of these three to four year deals. I don't think it's going to be as crazy as the wide receiver deals. You saw last off season, because I think Juju's going to work with them to get that number down. Uh, I think they're going to be creative and I think it's going to be a number that still allows Kansas city to be, to be flexible while signing the positions of need while being able to sign all these jet draft picks. So I'm going to say yes on Juju. I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to go yes also, and I agree that it'll have to be a fairly creative contract, but it's not going to be – I don't think it's going to be crazy. I just don't think it will be. I I, I could see where someone might say that, that Juju should be going after that. I, I think that's part of the reason that, that he ended up joining Kansas City, but I I don't know. And, but And forgive me here because I felt the same way about Orlando and wanting to be here. Maybe that's what led you to say yes, John, but I – I think Juju really likes it here. I think he likes yeah. playing with Patrick mm-hmm. Mahomes. And I buy the idea that Andy Reid loves having Juju. And though the Chiefs offense was was different this past year, Juju gave Andy, and this is something that he said to me, you know, on a couple of occasions regarding regarding uh, his value. So he's the perfect complement for Travis Kelsey right. on, on the other side. And right. it, it it allows you to spread out that offense, allows you to to run the football that allows a guy for the shots and they, they weren't always connected, but to give Marquez Valdez chance, Scantling a, a chance down the field. If you got eyeballs on Juju and Travis, maybe you can do some of those jet action sweeps and, and the end arounds. And I don't know. I think the, I think Andy really liked the way the offense ticked with Juju in the mix. So I, I just tend to think they find a way to keep him. I'm going to say yes for Juju. All right, John, I'm going to let you go first because I feel like I shouldn't go first every time here. McCole Hardman, where do you land on McCole? I think he's gone. I I, I think it's unfortunate, but I, I think that uh, the Chiefs, because they need to make room for Juju, for all the reasons you mentioned, uh, let McCole Hardman go because not only do they need to keep Juju, they now have somebody who can kind of do the same job that that uh, McColl has done so well during his four years with the team. I think it's unfortunate that he went out on the injury, but 
Uh, we've seen some hints that his market might be stronger even after this injury at the end of the year. His, his market might be pretty good, and I think the Chiefs let him go get it. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I thought there might be a chance that Hardman could almost, in a way, sneak back onto the Chiefs mm-hmm. by not having such a great final year. But I think there is going to be a team out there that sees his speed, which mm-hmm. is close to Hill say to themselves, we don't have that, and make him an offer that the Chiefs are going to look at themselves and say, I mean, we let's say they are able to keep Juju. We have Juju. We have our number one in Kadarius. So that's what they view him as, is, is their top receiver. If he could stay on the field, right? That's a big thing. Mm-hmm. But right, they have Sky Moore, who they've been training to do similar things as early as last training camp. I was watching mm-hmm. it. I was watching on days yeah. where mm-hmm. maybe McColl wasn't participating or where they were doing stuff in the backfield with Sky Moore. And a lot of the times that we said where Hill and Hardman were the best is is what? When they were getting them in those sweep and end around situations where it's almost a return as part of the the offense. And they clearly like Sky Moore as a returner. I know that some people don't like mm-hmm. that, but look, he performed <laughs> in, the, in the playoffs in a really big spot. And I just think that that's what they've been training for. The Chiefs try to work one year ahead. I think Hardman's going to cost too much. I think they'd love to have him back, but I just think he's going to go for the money, and he should, probably at more of a, a role in, in another offense. And the Chiefs will lean into more as Hardman goes elsewhere. And, and then Hardman, just depending on how much he makes, may factor into that compensatory formula. Um, as well. I think one of the things we need to remember about McCole Hardman is that from our perspective, he missed a big chunk of the season with this mysterious injury that we could never quite uh, quantify mm-hmm. um, as members of the media in Kansas City. But that's not going to be the perception he has elsewhere in the league. Up until 2022, he had never missed a game. He'd been available for right. every game. And I think that's what's going to be seen as a positive for him, even though we had this issue in 2022. I think around the league, they're going to see him as a guy who will be reliable. And, you know, it's hard to undersell that. Yeah, and he did mention on his social media that his surgery was successful. So the team could look at his tape when he was healthy and say, this guy's worth this amount of money. I just don't think the Chiefs are going to get there. Andrew Wiley, let's move to him. I I think that they find a way to bring him back for a number that works. I'm sure that Wiley is interested in a couple years here, more so than the constant one year contracts. I think Andrew Reed really likes Andrew Wiley. And I just tend to think they're going to want to have that depth. I think they, they're not forgetting just because it worked out this year. They're not forgetting what happened when they played Tampa in the Super Bowl. And even if they bring back Andrew Wiley, for a number and he ends up being this jack of all trades backup. I I sometimes think that that's worth it. I mean, you have injuries along the offensive line every year. It happens every single year. These teams that get through the whole year with a healthy offensive line, it is an incredible feat. And so I just think he's going to be too valuable. And I think his number is going to be low enough where the chiefs commit finally to, to Wiley. What do you think? I agree. I think that you have to put into this equation, the fact that the chiefs, love Andrew Wiley. I know I make this point all the time, but the Chiefs have loved this kid ever since they brought him in. He's got a great story. He's proved he can play any position on the line. Uh and and I and there's a history here where the Chiefs have paid uh reserve linemen significant money 
uh, in order to fulfill that role with the team. And I think they'll they'll do it again with uh, with Wiley this year. He falls into one of those players, too, I think. And, and this sometimes happened. I remember for years it was happening to me with Dan Sorensen, where he's just the most valuable to the Chiefs. I don't think he's going to be as valuable to anyone else as he might be for the Chiefs, where he yeah. knows his system, knows Andy mm-hmm. Reid. I think the Chiefs really regard him as maybe a better player than another team may. Right. And, and, saying, well, he's almost replacement level, you know, on our team, yada, yada. And so I just think it all plays into Wiley returning in some capacity. All right, let's go to it once here, John, because we're, we're pushing the clock. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Jarek McKinnon. Where do you see these two? Uh, well, I, I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is a, a, is a lock. Um, people look at his salary cap number, which I think is uh, th- $3.5 million this year, and think, well, oh, we need to get rid of this guy because he's not producing very much. Well, the problem is, $2.6 million of that is guaranteed. So he's going to get that paid, paid that money, whether he's on the team or not. All that the chiefs are, uh, are putting into keeping him is $900,000. And you can't really replace what Edward Zelaire brings to the team for $900,000. So it's a lock to me that he'll be on the team this year. And McKinnon. Um, yeah, boy, I don't know. Uh, he could, his value to Kansas city was, he was so inexpensive because of his varied history, you know, with so many teams and that kind of thing. And I think he finally gets an opportunity to make some real money elsewhere. I'm not sure the chiefs are going to want to pay it. I just don't. McKinnon. Uh, I agree with you. I, I think that he's been waiting a long time for this opportunity where mm-hmm. he had yeah. the December and January of a lifetime and yeah. he looked healthy. He looked reliable. We've seen that breakouts at the age of 30 can happen for running backs around the league. This actually happened for Corderell Patterson uh, in Atlanta, where he was able to break out in a late age and be an asset for a team. And so I think McKinnon has his ring. And now I think he gets paid on a three-year deal. And the chiefs are going to look at that and say, this is too much as great as he was. And yeah. And I think they're going to say themselves as well is Hey, if we can get a pass protector in this, a lot of his success is scheme, and we could scheme up anything. This is Andy Reid, right? This is Andy mm-hmm. Reid and Matt Nagy. We can scheme up anything. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I disagree, John. I just think, I think that Edwards-Hilaire is a player who would appreciate a change of scenery, and I, and sometimes the Chiefs grant that. Um, sometimes they don't. I know that Ronald Jones also wanted to change the scenery mid-year. They did not grant <laughs> that. But I think it's more likely that that happens when it's the off-season than in-season because in-season it's a little bit tougher to to do and say, oh, yeah, we're just going to let you go and not have any depth behind you, Ronald Jones. Mm. Right now I think they could still load up that room. Now, I, I think you make a good point. I think it's it's a player that has, has produced for the Chiefs. I think this idea that he's been a bust – is wrong. We've noted right, that in right. pro- yeah. the, pro- mm-hmm. the promise has been his injuries. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think Edwards Alaire is ready for a new start. We'll see if the chiefs find a way to, to do that. I, I tend to think he would be worth one of these conditional day three picks, but maybe I'm crazy in saying that, it, you know, would another team be willing to part with that? I, I don't know. Um, I think the conversation though, and this is something I noted too, in reacting to the nuggets from, from the combine from ESPN, is that we just got to stop talking about it. They won a title since then. Like it's, it's, it's okay that they made a mistake <laughs> in the first round. Their draft has been good since then. Yeah. Uh, he, he's worth what he's worth now. And right. you know, I think that's a conditional day three, if they do opt to do that. Uh, Colin Saunders, I mentioned, I would love to see Colin Saunders back, but I think he 
in a way falls into that change of scenery camp. I did talk to him at the Super Bowl, and he did tell me that despite some of the Twitter interactions, he wants to be back with the Chiefs. But I, I just think he might command more money on the open market than the Chiefs are going to be willing to pay. He was very fortunate to have his breakout season entering a contract year. And though we joke, you know, maybe other teams didn't notice. These teams have personnel staffs too. They notice right, that right. what Collins yeah. owners brings to the table. And I just I just tend to think he's going to cost the Chiefs too much for what they want to pay for this particular player. What do you think? I, I think you might be right about that. And I think that'll be a surprise to a lot of Chiefs fans because I think, you know, they've they've come to see Colin Saunders as a guy that hasn't really contributed very much. But the personnel staffs around the league saw what he did in 2022, and I think they're going to reward him for that. And I think that that's going to be more money than the Chiefs want to spend for, for the player who fills Saunders' role. But, of course, you know, what we're not putting into this is the possibility that he could be on Saturday Night Live. And, uh, you know, as, as, as Steve right. pointed out, so, uh, you I know, I would hate to see him on Saturday yeah. night live as like a charger, for example. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Like, that's, that's just not, not, yeah, that's worth, you know, that's gotta be worth a million dollars right there against the cap. So that's right. That's right. Finally, Juan Thornhill, John, I'm going to say no here simply because they have Brian cook. I think this was a great player, a, a great role player for Kansas city. I don't think after the injury, he ever fully maybe got back to what his arc might have been had it not happened mm-hmm. that, that rookie yeah. season. And it's just a business. I think he will get paid. I just don't think it's by the Chiefs. And I think the Chiefs drafted Brian Cook for a reason. So he could step up and, and be their starting safety now in 2023. So I'm going to say no on Juan Thornhill. Yeah, I think I have to agree with you on this. And I, and I think this is really unfortunate because I think he really had – the look of a player who could be really good in the NFL when he came in as a rookie and it just didn't fall his way. And, um, uh, you know, the, the, the team probably made a mistake by not giving him more playing time at different points, uh, when they had Sorensen available and, and put him out there instead of Thornhill. But there was also a pretty clear narrative that he didn't feel like he was ready to be out there and, and yeah. play at a hundred percent. So it's just an unfortunate situation. I hope it works out for him. Uh, with another team that he doesn't just, you know, uh, go to go to retirement here in a year or two uh, because he can't get a good deal. Because uh, I think he's a, at, at heart, I think he's a great NFL player. All right. So reviewing, we did who stays and who goes. Orlando Brown Jr., Juju Smith-Schuster, and Clyde Edwards-Elaire, we, we disagreed on, John. Yeah. Uh, you, you said that Orlando would be back. I didn't think so. I said that Juju would be back. You didn't think so. Clyde Edwards-Elair, I said, wouldn't be back. And you think... Wait a minute. No, I, I said that Juju would be back. Didn't you I? Know what? Well, I wrote it down wrong, John. That's that's good to know. <laughs> so we only disagreed on two then. We, we didn't... didn't Did we disagree? What did we disagree on besides... It was just uh, Orlando. See, I, I don't remember now. <laughs> it was just Orlando and Clyde. I was marking okay. it down and I was trying to be very diligent on I was not being diligent as it turns out, but Orlando, you said would be back. And I said, no. And then you also right. said that Clyde would be back. And I said, no, the others we right. agreed on, I guess, Juju. Yeah. Yes. Nicole. No. Andrew Wiley. Yes. Jarek McKinnon. No. Colin Saunders. No. And Juan Thornhill. No, it's a tough part of yeah. the NFL. We will see if we get any of these, right? Sometimes we, we think we're going <laughs> to, well, I guess the ones we disagreed on, someone will have to be right. All right. Well, we had a yeah. flash poll that we put up this morning, John, uh, very quickly here. Which free agent skill player do you want to see back with the Chiefs the most? I listed Hardman, McKinnon, Smith-Schuster, and good old Justin Watson. 
Who do you think Chiefs fans said? We have about 3,000 votes. Who do you think they said they would like to see back the most? In that group, I would say McKinnon. That's right. McKinnon came in at 47%, wow. 47.3%. Nearly half the fan base wants to see McKinnon back. Smith Schuster was pretty close behind at 41%, John. So yeah. right in that realm. Poor Hardman, measly 8.8%. Oh, man. And even poor Justin Watson coming in at 2.5. Okay, we are back on the AP Draft Room Podcast. Appreciate you guys listening. And you know what? I'm just going to get into it right away. We're not even going to waste too much time. Let's get into Prospect of the Week. Hey, Prospect. We have other prospects. Prospect of the Week. That's right. We are in Prospect of the Week, the your favorite segment of all the Airhead Pride weekly podcast. I'm calling it right now. It is your favorite weekly segment. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to find future Chiefs here. We're, we're digging out. You know, we're, we're picking out names that we really think make sense to end up on the Chiefs roster in late April. And that's why I'm going to let you go first. And because I think you have a really interesting name and I'm excited to talk about him. So who do you have as today's Prospect of the Week? Man, prospect of the week for me is a guy that I've been looking at since we start talking draft and looking at. As soon as I jumped into running backs, I'm going through it, start watching some film and some tape. And this guy just jumped off to me. And it was like, maybe because I can relate to, you know, playing running back in high school and college and and, and, and being the size that I am, only being like 5'8", and think I'm like, I root for the small guys sometimes. Keaton Mitchell, man. Keaton Mitchell, like, this I feel like this guy is dynamic. Like it surprises me where 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 he's you know projected to go. Me but too. I I I think that value is so perfect for the Kansas City Chiefs. Four three seven guy, right? So I think that's I mean Pacheco runs a four three, but there's something about Keaton Mitchell's four three that looks a little different than Pacheco's you know four three because. I think Pacheco, once he's up and running, you can really see the speed. He's explosive to be able to hit the edge. But there's some guys that have speed, like you see with Tyreek, that's able to get to that top speed quickly. And right. I think that's what you see with Keith Mitchell, man, that, that burst. Um, I mean, I think he, he led he led the NCAA in, in, in 10 yards or plus carries with 54. So, I mean, doesn't have the size to kind of pick up the blitz and things that you would like to see, like if you're talking about a third down back. But I think in an Andy Reid-style offense that specializes in putting guys in the best position possible to perform, I would love to see Keith Mitchell with the Chiefs. Yeah, no, he, he's definitely that dynamicism um, that, that can be – you can really see it like in zone runs where he's kind of just maneuvering through the box, man. Hey, what do the Chiefs love to do? And, and sometimes it drives me crazy, but they just love to run inside-outside zone, back and forth, back and forth in the run game. And – Guys like that that have that wiggle, that have that you know that that uh, you know elusiveness. That's the kind of guys that are going to succeed with that. You know, Pacheco really improved over the year, you know, but he's not the most elusive guy. And and a lot of you know his great runs are because the line is blowing it open for him. Yeah. I still think there's there's opportunity for for a, a better running back, you know, a better vision running back, which I think Pacheco could still grow into, um, with a little more wiggle to uh, you know to to even to be even better at some of those runs. You know, I think Jerick McKinnon even sometimes you saw it. Right. was even better, um, you know, in those in-between-the-tackle runs. Yeah, this, so, like, like, just that person that can find it. Like, yeah. Pacheco, to me, is kind of like, if it's there, or right. you know, he's going to hit it, he's going to hit it hard. If anybody's in his way, he's going to probably run through it and break the tackle. 
but that kind of makes something out of nothing type of running back. I don't think, you know, McKinnon is good at it, but of course he's getting up in their age. Definitely. When you start thinking running back that, and that's the main reason I think the Chiefs try to go draft somebody to get somebody else with that speed and that, that vision out outlook that, that, that you can get at the running back. And I just think, man, I think um, Keaton Mitchell, man, really fits that. And, and, and the value of what he can do for where he's going to probably be drafted at, I think makes perfect sense. Like, I don't think, that the Chiefs go first, second, third round looking at a running back. I would, I would tend to agree. Um, it is, you know, and we'll talk about it here in a second, so maybe I'll save it. But I, I will say, East Carolina running back. I don't know if we mentioned that, but uh, you know, uh, he is a he's a pirate. Um, but yeah, if anyone wants to go check him out, uh, we had our running back AP film room this week, and we we didn't include him. And honestly, I wanted to, but it was just because they did not have great film of him. Yeah. Uh, just. The only game I had full film of him, he just did not do much, which was sad because I really wanted to break him down and show the people how explosive he was. So yeah, I had to go well, out looking. I had to go find a lot of clips and, and right, and it was more highlightish than being able to really dissect his game. So yeah, but that's the thing, man. With running backs, I would say receivers even too. Sometimes it's really just about what you can do, what your top end ability is, and and I think that's one thing with Keaton is you can see he's a big play dude, just playmaking, you know play you know i would say as a pass catcher too i feel like he can be a he could be good on screens just in general as a pass catcher so shout out keaton mitchell glad you gave him some love and would love to see him in a chief's uniform i'm gonna go with though on the other side of the ball in the trenches i'm gonna go uh tuli tua pelotu i think i got that right honestly tuli tua pelotu <laughs> usc's defensive lineman um, he's definitely a little bit of a tweener uh, when you watch him. He 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 shows up on the edge as this big hulking dude. He actually was listed at like 290, and then he came at the combat at 266. So I think that oh, was a, a product of uh yeah, USC kind of overhyping how big he was, or yeah, yeah USC. Um, so yeah, so he comes in at 6'3, 266 at the at the combine. So, you know, that's the scary part about being that tweener is you hear 290 and you're like, oh god, you can't play on the edge, but 266 is obviously a great size. You know, Spags right. is gonna love that as an edge defender and he, he looks big though. That's the thing you, you believe he's 290 when you watch him because he does play that big and maybe he did drop a lot of weight, Um, but he moves very well for being that hulking size. You know, he, he was kind of versatile for them. He was on the edge. He was on the inside. Sometimes he's even blitzing from like an off ball position, but he just, he just really knows what to do as a rusher, Um, you know, knows how to get a first step and and come off quickly and, and, and fire through holes and, and kind of, you know, win that initial battle and kind of win the leverage, um, even though he is a little bit of a taller guy. But again, 6'3", that's the thing. Sometimes these guys get 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, they're almost too tall. Too tall. Um, right, especially if they're going to play on inside at all. He's not going to be a fully inside guy, but again, someone that can be versatile. He does have, again, I think 6'3", not the longest arms, you know, uh, unfortunately. But I think sometimes, you know, having long arms as a defensive lineman can be underrated. Sometimes I think it allows your chest to get, uh, you know, yeah, allows people to get to your I chest. Sometimes quickly. those long arms allow offensive linemen sometimes to get into you more and get yeah. their hands on you. Like, so the shorter I, arms is, I mean, yeah. still, what, 13 sacks last year? <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. He's a productive uh, dude. And and that's, <laughs> and that's I really – I don't take production too much into account with draft prospects. It's, you shouldn't look at someone's box score and compare it to others and say, okay, if that – but – Pass rushing, you do want to see guys get into a decent number of sacks and tackles for losses, I would say. Right. Um, it just shows you that that they were active not only on, on the defensive pass, uh, pass rush rotation, 
it also just shows you that they were they were getting after the quarterback. They were winning uh, quite a bit. And he had 21 sacks as a true junior, you know, over three years. That's pretty good. You know, there's there's some other true juniors in this class that didn't get to 21 sacks. You know, Miles Murphy doesn't have that many. B.J. Ojolari didn't have that many. Um, so good for him to kind of have that production to go along with it. And he was a first-team All-Pac-12 player in 2021. So he is a young player. That's the other part of this, too. He's super young. That's why I'm excited about him. Um, I think it'd be maybe day two. I think it'd be that second round pick probably that you'd have to spend to get him. But I don't know, man. He, he tested really well. He didn't have testing numbers, I should say. But at the pro day, if he has a really good testing, you know, I could see him maybe being closer to round one. Do you have you gotten eyes on him at all? Do you know uh, yeah, much I, about I, him? I, I looked at him a little bit, so I've seen enough to, to kind of to know that like he brings what I think the opposite of what Karloffis brings. You know, Karloffis is really like the bull rush, you know. Not a lot, not a, not a definitely quick first step, but just a high bull rush, high motor, strong guy. I think you get the speed side over here, you know, with him that you that that you don't get with Carlos, which I think you need because I think that's kind of what you necessarily lose with losing Frank Clark is the kind of speed rusher ability guy. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what you need. You you need kind of that both where you can move them around, get the matchups that you're looking for along the defensive line. Um, like I say. Tackles for loss matter. He had about 22 of those, I think, last year. So, yeah, the, the numbers and what you see, like, you don't want to look solely at the number, but you look at the numbers and then you want to say, okay, does this show up on tape? And it's like, it does. It does to me, yeah. So, yeah, no, I, no, that's honestly a really interesting point because I think on the surface you see, okay, he's like this bigger edge rusher. You kind of think, okay, we're getting two power rushers, right? You know, Karloftis is one and then – you again on the surface you're like this guy's another one because he's a bigger dude an in-between kind of guy but i think you're right i do think he has that first step that that bend i think he does have some bend um at his size that yeah and and it makes him more of a a, maybe of a speed rusher than maybe his size you know would tell you you know i i would say i'd like him you know i i want to see what his 40 or 10 yard split is um you know pro day is not going to be very reliable but you know, it is hard to tell exactly, you know, how well he's going to be getting off the ball at that size. Um, that's the problem like, with being a speed rusher at that size. People compare him to Karloffis, but I see, like, they say the NFL comparisons, like, it, it, it was a couple of people I've seen said Karloffis, but I, I don't know. I see a little, I see more athletic ability than what Karloffis shows, in my opinion. And I would agree with that. I, I really would. Um, and, and again, though, we're not, we're probably not going to see the Chiefs draft a Nolan Smith, unfortunately. So they probably are going to be looking at these guys more, right? And so right. if you can get these the guy that has the size plus that you know ability off the edge as an, as a really truly around the arc rusher, I, I think it pairs really well with Carl Loftus. I think that's a great point, and it's why I think he's a great candidate to be picked by the Chiefs. So there's our prospects of the week: Tuli Tua Pelotu and Keaton Mitchell, two very exciting guys in this class. But let's keep the running back talk going here, Maurice, because. There's a lot of interesting running backs in this class. A lot of fun ones. I've been watching them over the last few days, this last week. Well, let's start at the top. We know B. John Robinson, the Texas running back, is is that dude. Uh, you know, he is definitely, you know, the best back in the class. I, you know, do you agree with that? I would say, uh, yeah. you know, make yeah, sure. No, yeah. No, no, no doubt about it. <laughs> no question. Yeah, just his size, his speed, all that. So, I don't think there's a way he falls into a range where the Chiefs can even think about. Getting him, I really feel like he's going to go pretty high, even if the the NFL devalues running back, which you can, you know, you can uh, let me know if you disagree or not. But I want to talk about the the kind of second tier, in my opinion. I do think there is a clear second tier running back, 
And I think it's three guys. I think it's Jameer Gibbs from Alabama, uh, who is also a Georgia Tech transfer. Uh, I think it's Devon A-Chain from Texas A&M. And I think it's Tyje Spears from Tulane, um, someone that I am a huge fan of, um, is Spears. So it does seem like those are kind of the three maybe that are going after um, Robinson and maybe the, uh, the guys that are possibly um, in the Chiefs range in 31. Now, here's the question. Is there any way is there any way you can imagine that the Chiefs would actually four years later, however long it's been, would take another running back in the first round? And would you feel good about it? Uh, absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> it, it, Wait, absolutely it, it, not to which one? Absolutely not to which question? I, I, don't, I don't think there's any way possible that they take a running back in the first round unless somehow Robinson just falls to, to 31. Then it's like, uh, we might. Which have- I think, yeah, and I think it would be it would be dumb to not pick B. John Robinson if he was there at 31. I do think yeah. that he's that good of a player. Um, but, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, so unless it's him, I, I I really can't see the Chiefs drafting. I think the 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 fan base would go crazy. I don't care who it was, like another running back. Why definitely if if Clyde is still on the roster for for some reason, having two first round running backs on your roster just like it's not conducive for for moving forward. So now nah, I don't think it's any way possible they, they draft a number one draft uh, draft a running back first pick overall for they for their first round. Okay, so now you say that. Now let's go into an alternate universe where somehow, some way, crazy enough, they are taking a running back in the first round. I, I think Jameer Gibbs and Devon A-Chain are the two guys It's you're choosing between. Um, but are there any other guys that are close to them, in your opinion, in this class? And if not, I don't know. How would you would you want to, like, okay, it's happened now, right? They're in the they're in the offense. Does it really make the offense that much better to have one of these guys that that are potentially going to be first round picks this year? Man, yes. I mean, I think they yeah. like, okay. Like, I think they're good enough where they make any offense to they get on better. Right. I mean, both 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 are very explosive, top end speed. Like they can really give you that Jamal Charles effect, where yeah. at at any given time that they touch the ball, you could be looking at a home run play, like. That 90-yard run, you know, for, for a touchdown. Like, they give you that type of ability, which I just don't think the Chiefs have right now. No. No, they don't. You're right. And, you know, Pacheco has – we kind of talked about it. He has a long, straight-ahead speed, so if you really gave him a, a lane, but he's not going to make it on his own. Some of these guys will, right? They they make a guy miss an open space. All of a sudden, you're gone. Um, so, yeah, I – you know, it's fun to think about, right? But I, I, I'm with you. These guys should not be on the Chiefs when it comes – to April. I do think Tyje Spears has a chance to go later. I think I, I think you know a lot of people are high on him that maybe he will go. He's had ACL. I think he's had two torn ACLs in his past. Um, and he is kind of this higher cut. He's not that tall, but he looks like a higher cut player. Um, was pretty fast. I really like him. I I, I do, but I think he could maybe be a little later. Um, so if he's maybe yeah, in that third not, or not running at the you know, when you're a running back, you don't run the 40 at the combine. I think that right. hurt you a little bit. So him him stepping out and not running that 40-yard dash kind of had me like, all right, why you ain't running? Like, I really like, yeah. kind of kind of raises a flag. But, I mean, when you when you watch him, I mean, he's dynamic. Dynamic um, is the word. Yeah. Like, I really think he's a dynamic back. I mean, good vision, good feet, uh, makes people miss. Um, I know, yeah. I know. Price, Price, one of the other contributors. He likes. He say he, he reminds him a lot of Pacheco, but I, I, I think he's di- he's more dynamic than what you get with Pacheco. I see the comparison and why you say why why somebody would say that, but he's a lot more dynamic to me than what Pacheco gives you. You know, 
I, I hate using this comparison. I said it on the AP film room though too. So I'm just going to say it. He reminded me of, of Le'Veon Bell just with his, his ability to kind of be patient kind of, but also be super explosive out of his cuts, kind of change direction very fast, kind of play upright. That's why that's, that's really what reminded me of it. Cause he's kind of a higher cut player. Like yeah, Le'Veon was, that makes sense. um, but, you know, Le'Veon was a very special player. Um, but I don't know, man. You see Spears make some guys miss sometimes at that at his kind of size, man. I don't know. I, I like it. So uh, he's definitely someone I'm excited about. But when you kind of go to that next tier running backs, maybe, and, and that's the thing, you know, depending on the which mock drafts, which consensus you follow, these guys might be above a Ty J Spears. But, you know, Dwayne McBride from UAB, you know, I, as someone that I've been familiar with a few years, I actually had a, a buddy that played at UAB, so I've been watching UAB for a few years. And this dude has been a stud for a while um and and the problem is i really don't know if if he's the kind of guy you want to pair with pacheco because they're kind of redundant a little bit i think i think they are not necessarily just how they play style but just what they're going to be used as um i think tank bigsby you could kind of say the same thing for uh to an extent but i think there's some uh, you know some dynamicism there sean tucker from syracuse is someone i like um you know deuce vaughn obviously a k-state guy i like like deuce yeah, I'm excited to see where he goes because, okay, let's talk about Deuce a little bit. Do you – I know his size is just such an outlier, but I feel like sometimes w- when you can kind of hit like he does, you know, when you can kind of be physical like he does, the size can actually be an advantage to you. You don't get seen as easy. You know, when you're running the box, the linebackers can't locate you as much. Do You, you know, how confident are you that he's going to be able to, to be a legit dude in the NFL? Uh, you know, when I say legit dude, obviously, I'm not saying an all-pro, but yeah, yeah, someone that can have a role. He ain't going to be an every down back. He, I don't think he can take that side, could take that type of punishment. But Duke John is a tough guy. He, he, like, like, he, he plays tough. He plays bigger than what his size would, 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 would give you to believe. But I think he finds a role. I think it's all about the right fit. And that's, that's why I'm kind of, you know, glad that he's going to be a later round type of guy where somebody is probably going to be like, who picks him already has a vision for how he can be have a role in their offense. I, I think with the right the right type of coach, I think I think he'll be he'll be good. Yeah, I, I do too. Uh, and, and this is a, a nugget from PFF, but he's one of the only backs in the class that ran more gap runs in college and zone runs, which is kind of just a, a, a peculiar uh, number. But I think the point to that for me is that you know he's used to following blocks, he's used to reading kind of the flow of, of down blocks and those pulling and those pulling plays. He, he's run plenty of zone too, but. I just feel like he he might be the most kind of ready to jump in right away and some of these mid-round, later-round backs just because of the experience he had in that in that run-heavy K-State offense. Wow. Very multiple. Again, they have so they had so many different schemes they were running. I think some of these these Detroit Lions type teams, these Eagles type teams that run a lot of variable um, run schemes, you know, he could come in right away and 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 run in and, and look fine, right? So I mean I think that, his ability like he, he he plays well in in in, in, in pass receptions. Like yeah. I've seen him end up at at slot receiver now and, and run and catch out the backfield. I mean, I even seen him stick his nose in there and pick up the blitz and, and chop big defensive ends. Like right, he, he has the heart, man. If, if nothing else, exactly. Hey, you know it's not the same type of player, but you know Darren Sproles was doubted quite a bit. I'm sure coming out and right. uh, hey, you know it's not the type. Same type of player, and even Darren Sproles, I think, was a little bigger. <laughs> He's fun, which is crazy to think about. 